0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning to all of our folks watching on line. I want to uh, start off with a, a story. Uh, Matama Gandhi was on board. You know, it was Gandhi, a pretty important person. He's trying to get on a train, and there's a reporter that was chasing him and following him and wanted to get an interview with him, and Gandhi didn't want to get an interview, so Gandhi gets on the train, and the reporter shouts out, Sir, sir, please give me your message for the people. And Gandhi has this great quote. He says, my life is my message. He went on to say, it is better to allow our lives to speak for us than use our words. Isn't that great? Amen? Okay, come on, studio audience. I need a little bit more out of you. Amen? Yes. So, and yet the Bible actually said it before Gandhi. Um, Here's what it says, First Thessalonians, your lives are echoing the master's words. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. You, Christians. So you're on this earth for a reason. God has put you here. God wants you to live out his message. God wants to say something to the world through your very life. If your life is the message then, right, what is your message? So turn to your neighbor and ask him that question. What is your message? Go ahead and do that. What's your life message? You should be able to answer it like in three or four words. What's your life uh, message? You should be able to do this. So we're in this series talking about how we need a comeback. How many of you need a comeback in your life? Yeah, we need a comeback? Yeah. There are times when we feel emotionally spent. I think if I could characterize how people feel right now with... Uh, COVID and coming into 2021, people feel tired, people feel emotionally exhausted, people feel weary, worn out, right? Is that, is that fair? I think so. And, you know, and somewhere when we look in the mirror, we're like, you know, I just don't see the person that I wanted to be. I don't see the person that I, that I think God created me to be. So I wrote these words in my prayer journal before I started this series. And, and this is what I wrote. I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed not so much with particular things I've done, but really of who I've become. I have a nagging sense that not all is as it should be. Can anyone relate? Yeah, yeah. So I realized I needed to come back. I need to get right with God. But but how? And so we've, we've talked in previous two weeks, and I've already been working on the next week. So we're talking about different ways we can come back. And this, this week, one of the things that God kept saying to me And it's funny because I've been talking to my wife all week about this, Renee, and she's really been like just letting me have it. You know, I love it when I share my sermon early with Renee and then she just preaches it all to me all week. It's wonderful. That's a joke. Okay. But one of the things that happened is God kept saying to me, you got to prune. You got to prune. If you want to come back, you've got to cut back. And You might need to do some pruning in your life. So we're not going to wait to do some spring cleaning. It's only January. We're going to do some pruning in our hearts. We're ready for God to move in our life. And you're going to be excited about this, right? Yes? Amen? All right. A little bit more amen? amen? All right. There you go. So if you want your life message to be clear, if you want people to know what is your life message, then you might need to be a little bit less complex. You might need to simplify your life a little bit more. Because when I look at my life lately, it reminds me of the equivalent of eating at a particular place in San Antonio. I just went to San Antonio recently. It's only two and a half hours north of here. And there's this wonderful place called the Cheesecake Factory. How many of you have been to the Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. Now, I love that restaurant. But when I go there, it stresses me out. Because when the waitress comes over and puts this menu on the table, the table actually shakes because the menu is so heavy. The story is, there's a woman in the late 40s who got a newspaper clipping of a cheesecake recipe, and she went home and she added a few things and she perfected it, and it was amazing, and everybody loved it. And her son, in the 1970s, got a hold of the recipe, and he said, I'm going to make a restaurant out of this recipe, and we're going to sell the best cheesecake anybody's ever had. And it was the whole purpose was to sell Mama's cheesecake through a restaurant. Are you with me? Yes? All right. So, and, and I think everyone needs cheesecake, don't you? I mean, it's just a theological truth. We thank the Lord for delicious things like cheesecake. Amen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what's interesting to me is you, if you go to the restaurant... And you get this menu, and I have just, I just have, uh, just, I had Charlotte, our office manager, said, you know what, Google the, the, the menu for me and print out just a few pages. So this is like 19 pages of the menu. It's not even the complete menu. Okay? So what's interesting to me, the first page is the story, and then the second page is drinks, and then the third page is just drinks, and then we're on to small plates on page four. And then at page five, I'm on to small plates and snacks, and then I get to flatbreads. Okay, not to be confused with small plates. There's two whole pages of flatbreads. Who would have thought there's that many flatbreads? Then there's two pages of appetizers that are distinct from the small plates. Then we get into the appetizer salads, which is an entire different category here. If you don't believe me, I've got a copy for you. Anyone can look at this, okay? Then we jump into salads before we get into pizzas because he opened up a restaurant to sell cheesecake to the world. And, of course, at a cheesecake restaurant, you've got to have five, five pages of everything before you get to the cheesecake. But we're not even there yet because we're into the specialties. The specialty, which is not cheesecake, which is kind of weird to me, which is why they opened up the restaurant to sell cheesecake, is not specialties. Doesn't that strike you as weird? Anyhow, they have a specialty section, and apparently there's no cheesecake on it. Very strange to me. And then you find very weird things on this menu. They're very strange things, like they have deep-fried macaroni balls. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds delicious, doesn't it? Anyone getting hungry? Yeah. And then we get into an entire page called Glam Burgers. Glam, G-L, like glamorous. Apparently, those are glamorous hamburgers. I have no idea. I've never had one, but they sound fabulous, don't they? Because they're glamorous hamburgers. I mean, when I think of a hamburger, I think glamour, don't you? Anyhow, there's a whole different category. We we jump into another category called appetizer specialties. Don't know why, but this page is special. It's somehow different, special from the other specialties. And guess what? Still no cheesecake. We're on page 11. Haven't found a piece of cheesecake yet in the Cheesecake Factory menu labeled specialties. Another page labeled specialties. Still no cheesecake. But there is teriyaki chicken. That sounds really good, right? Very good. And then we jump into more specialties. Everything's special, but if everything's special, then nothing's special. I thought that was funny. <laughs> now we're on to specialties. Now we have fish and seafood. Yes, they have fish and seafood, which is great. Uh, I don't think it's going to be better than corpus seafood, but okay. And then we have steaks and chops, and then they have succotash. They have succotash on the menu. Now, I don't know what that is, but I remember Looney and Tunes. Remember Looney and Tunes? Suffering succotash. Do you remember that? <laughs> Remember that? They have that on there. And then they have ratatouille, which is great if you're watching a Pixar movie, but not for cheesecake. And then we're into salads again, but not appetizer salads, but they're regular salads. There's going to be enormous salads. And then we're back into sandwiches. I'm on page 16, guys, and I still haven't had a cheesecake yet. Now, what is the purpose for this? It's because the mom opened it up in the 40s, and the son opened it up in the 70s, but it's back there where they serve eggs and omelets all day, by the way, here at Cheesecake Factory. Finally, you find cheesecake on page 19 and 20 of the menu. Now, look, I'm not knocking the Cheesecake Factory. They're delicious. Last year, they did like $2 billion, so they're doing all right. Don't pray for the Cheesecake Factory. They're doing fine. <laughs> but I bring this up because it's an interesting contrast to other restaurants. And the, the most striking other restaurant I could think about And restaurant is a loose term for this place. But there is a restaurant which they have a total of five items on the menu. And I don't know if you've been to this place, but it's very, very good. If you just want a simple meal, it is In-N-Out Burger. Now, In-N-Out Burger has a total of five items. They have a hamburger, they have a cheeseburger, they have a double-double and fries, and then they have the drinks. That's it, five items. That's it, you don't even need a menu. This is very refreshing. Now, when you think about your life... What is your life more like? Is your life like the Cheesecake Factory menu? Complex, full of many, many things and many, many items, and people don't have to read pages and pages to even understand what you're about? Or are you more of an In-N-Out Burger? Turn to your neighbor and tell them which one you're more like. Cheesecake Factory or In-N-Out Burger? Go ahead. Most guys are going to be In-N-Out Burger. Women, Cheesecake Factory pages and pages of complexity, women, right? Am I wrong? Okay. So we do not want to live our lives so that people have to go through pages and pages to try to figure out. We want our life message to be clear. You want to be able, when people do your funerals, you want people to go, oh, I know what to talk about because I know what this person was about. They were about love. They were about God. They were about spreading the kingdom. I want that. So, but what happens is, We have this thing in our culture called feature creep. Have you heard of feature creep? Feature creep is the idea that you have to add on more stuff to the original product. So it becomes that the original product becomes very difficult to even use. So you add on 16, 17 pages before you get to cheesecake. And the whole restaurant is cheesecake. So, for instance, when McDonald's first opened up, when McDonald's first opened up, the largest cup. Some of you are like, does this sermon even mention God? Is this this sermon, are we going to get to God today, John? We'll get there. I know this is a long buildup, but bear with me. It's been a long year, okay? Anyhow, so (laughs) where was I? McDonald's. When McDonald's first opened up, the biggest, the largest cup you could get if you wanted a nice, refreshing soda, Five ounces. So I took a little stroll down the McDonald's, right down here from the street from us, and I went in there and said, Give me the biggest cup you got. Thirty ounces today. Thirty ounces. Because that's how much soda you need, thirty ounces at one time. For sure. And for instance, just the largeness of our homes. In nineteen fifty, it's interesting, I asked a realtor this week, the average size home in nineteen fifty in America, anyone want to guess how many square feet? 983 square feet, and it's sold, are you ready for this, the average price of $11,000. You can't even get a beater car for that today. Now, flash forward to the metrics I could find on 2019, the average size home in square foot being sold in 2019, 2,720 square feet, and an average cost, so that's two and a half times larger than we used to be, an average cost of $296,000. A little bit more than 11,000, right? I was in the slow math class, but I'm pretty sure that's more. Okay. So we live in a world and a culture where it's all about feature creep. You've got to have a bigger house. You've got to have a lot more soda. You've got to have more things. You've got to do more things. And so we live in a world where more is equated with what? Better. Better. Got to have more features. This is even true in the church, right? How, do you have a ministry for me? Do you have a ministry? Do you have this, this, and that? Do you have everything for me? Because i need I'm special and I need a ministry for me. Do you have a ministry for those that have an ingrown toenail? Yes, we do. But not every feature of our souls and not every feature of our lives is a benefit. And I began to ask God, what happens and where does the pruning need to happen? What needs to go? Have you ever asked yourself, hey, you know what? There's some things in my life I need to let go of if I'm really going to serve God. There's some things in my life that I really need to let go of if I'm going to have a comeback. There are things in my life that are preventing me from living my life. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Because I think it's a good question to ask. There are pages that Cheesecake could let go of. Pages. And what about you? And this led me to reading this week. One of my favorite stories, this is absolutely one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. In this story, you'll read about a man who laid on a mat for 38 years by a pool of water that was supposed to heal him. And the idea was that the pool of water had healing qualities and an angel would stir up the water. It was a natural stream and angels would stir up the water and you'd be healed if you could just be the first one in the water. And for 38 years, he could never be the first one in the water. You'd think you could pay your buddies 20 bucks to roll your lazy butt up into the water one time. But he couldn't. 38 years. years. 38 years he begged for food, standing on SPID. We'll work for food. And when you offered him work, he said, no, I'd rather beg. 38 years is a long time to sit on your mat, waiting, waiting for change, stagnation. Sitting on his mat became a way of life. His life is stagnant. He's unable to see the deep well of life that is within him. And you might be saying, wait a minute, what does this have to do with cheesecake, John? Right? Because I asked myself that same question when I was writing this. Did he have feature creep? He did have feature creep. He had some things he had to let go of. Because, first of all, he's convinced that life will bubble up outside of him. Over there, in that magic pool of circumstances. So he sits waiting and watching, hoping that things will change. Again, there was a belief, this is called the Pool of Bethesda, and there was healing properties that could change your life. The angel would stir the water, and if you were the first one in, you were healed. He won't get up off that mat until he sees the first bubble. He is living what some of us live, and some of us need to lose, and what you might call an as-soon-as-life. Have you ever lived as soon as life? If you want to have comeback, you've got to prune your thoughts away from this. As soon as this, I'll live my life. You've got to lose the feature creep of as soon as life. As soon as the water bubbles up, I'll get off my mat and get into the water. He's been doing that for 38 years, it hasn't changed. As soon as I get to the water, my life will be wetter, better. As soon as I get into the water, my, my problems will be fixed. The pool of Bethesda is an illusion. It convinces us that our life is nothing more than our circumstances. It deceives us into believing that life is found outside of ourselves. It tricks us into living as soon as life. Most of us know what it's like. We even say it out loud. People say it out loud and say it to one another. As soon as this happens, everything will be better. I'll be happy. My problems will go away. I'll be satisfied. How many of you have ever said, man, if I could just win that Powerball lottery, my life will be set? And how many of you played this week? I won't even look. If you win, remember 10% for the Lord. (laughs) The pool of Bethesda has a strong attraction for us. Children have it, right? Children say, man, as soon as I get big, as soon as I can get out of this house, As soon as I get out from under my parents' wings, as soon as I'm an adult, and that really works out, doesn't it? (laughs) As soon as I graduate, as soon as I get a job, or a better job, as soon as I get married, or as soon as I get out of this marriage, as soon as I have more time or more money or, or a better house, or if he just changes the way he acts, or as soon as she apologizes... I feel better or get through this time in my life, or as soon as they do what I want, as soon as I get a vacation, as soon as I retire, as soon as I move away to the mountains, as soon as I get over this grief, I no longer feel sad, or as soon as I lose 10 pounds and get in shape. Mm Mm-hmm. 20 pounds soon as I get a new job or get more money or get a bigger house, as soon as I get the COVID vaccine, then I'll come back to church. That's for you, people online. <laughs> Sorry. Everybody just drops out now, right? As soon as you can fill in the blank with almost anything. And people add many, many items to their menu, and their lives. And the problem is... There will always be another pool of Bethesda. Meanwhile, life's been put on hold. The push button, the pause button has been pushed, right? We just just push that. We sit on the mat, and we're imprisoned by the circumstances of our lives. The imprisonment is so great, Jesus actually comes up to the man. Now, imagine you're in the hospital. You're sick, and, and I come to pray over you. And you say, Pastor John, how did they let you in with COVID? And I say, Jedi mind tricks. And you go, right. And I say to you, do you want to get well? And you're like, that's a strange question. Of course I want to get well. I'm in the hospital. But when Jesus says to the man who's been laying there 30 years, do you want to get well? He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say of course. He doesn't say duh. Which would be great in the original language. I don't know how that would translate that. Instead, he says, well, I have no one to help me in the water when the water stirred, so I'm just stuck here on my mat. I'm just begging for a living, and it's so much easier just begging for a living than actually working. I'm not suggesting that the circumstances of our lives are irrelevant or have no effect. That's just not true. They do affect us, but we are, however, more than the circumstances of our lives. Amen? Life is not to be found outside of our various circumstances or situations, but in them, To believe something other than this is to constantly look for the next pool of Bethesda. Jesus does not even help the man get into the water, if you know the story. Jesus doesn't say, okay, we'll both watch for the next time the bubbles come up, and I'm going to push you in. Jesus says to him, and it's very existential, it's very questionable what sort of healing this is. Jesus just says, hey, uh, if you really want to get better, get off your mat and start walking you know quit begging for a living and start you know you need to go shave and get a job that's basically what Jesus says to him to quote Jesus accurately he says stand up pick up your mat and start walking and start living your life and it's interesting Jesus tells him take your mat with you what does the mat symbolize his circumstances his circumstances are real the difference now is he carries them they no longer carry him hello are you awake In other words, hear me, Jesus doesn't always change outer circumstances. He changes us. He calls us to a new way of being and seeing and acting and thinking and speaking. And when we stand and rise to that new life, we discover that somehow the circumstances have changed because we have been changed. Hello? Come on, this is good stuff here, studio audience. I need a little bit more. I mean, I'm preaching better than you're receiving, okay? I'm just saying. (laughs) This doesn't make life necessarily any easier or that we no longer have to deal with circumstances, but it does make our circumstances more manageable because now we're different. And the pool of Bethesda has been drained of its power over us. There's freedom where there once was imprisonment. Inertia gives way to creativity. And one stagnant waters now bubble with life. We want to imagine the man's first response to the question, do I want to get well, would be almost unprintable. Do I want to get well? Why else would I be laying next to this pool for 38 years for the waters to bubble? Of course I want to get well. Ah, but let's just wait a minute. If we examine human nature, what you'll find, and it may be hard to believe for some of you, but sometimes sick people do not want to get well. They don't. You ever talk to an alcoholic who didn't recognize your problem? I don't have a drinking problem. Everyone else does. Everybody else has a problem with my drinking. I'm fine with it. When I first got married and I came from a family of gorillas and Renee came from a family of turtles, my style of conflict was beat your chest and yell and scream and shout it out. And that was great for me because that's what I grew up with. My family was like, we're having a fight. Let's go. All right. Gather around. Let's fight. Beat your chest. Oh, I'll say this and I'll say that. And boy, we're gorillas. Renee's family was so sweet. First dinner I ever had with them. They're at the table. Please pass the salt. Thank you. Thank you for passing the salt. May I have the butter now so I can butter my corn? Thank you for passing the butter I'm like 10 minutes into the meal. I'm like, oh right, y'all can cut the crap right now, all right? I mean, I love your daughter. It's cool. We can be normal. And Renee's like, this is normal. I'm like, this is weird. My family'd be like, hey, quit hogging the salt. Get it over here right now. Oh shut up! I'm I'm, I'm not done with it yet. That's my family. So when Renee and I had a conflict, I didn't have a problem with my temper. I was good with it. She had the problem. I didn't want to get well. I didn't want to change. This is your problem, Renee, not mine. There are very good reasons for your reluctance if you're sick not to get well. When you get well, you lose one set of obvious problems, but you gain a whole new set of problems, right? Hello? I remember being 12, 12 years old, and I had a test, and I had not studied for the test, And I had already figured out, in my family, my mom was very sympathetic, and it was good when you had a temperature of 102, because you did not have to go to school. So you remember the old school thermometers where they actually put them in your mouth? Remember, they're like a little line. Nowadays, you can't do this. They got the thing, and they just shoot on your forehead. It's real technical, but in the old days, you could cheat. My mom would say, I'll take your temperature. She'd come in, put the thermometer in my mouth. She'd walk out of the room. I'd go next to the nearest light bulb. Hold that up to the light bulb, about 101, 102, boom, put it back in. Oh, 102, you're running a fever. You need to stay home. No test for you today. And I got lots of Sprite and TV time. It was good to be sick in my household. Why would I want to be well? Okay, how many of you ever called in sick when you weren't sick? Come on. There's a few hands going up. Do not pan the crowd right now. A friend of mine struggled with drinking. He went to AA meetings and admitted that he had an alcoholic problem. He began to work on it, identify it, understand he quit drinking, and in the whole healing process. But he told me, he said, you know, the weird thing is, is now that I'm in recovery, I have a whole different set of problems. He goes, now that I have a new life, I'm left with the question, what do I do with it? I mean, if I really get off the mat and I live my life, that presents a whole new set of problems. He said, when I'm drinking, I don't have to think about what to do with my life. The bottle tells me every move to make. But when I'm free, the ball's in my court. And as wonderful as it is, it can be very frightening. Because now, he's got to write down what's on his menu. What is his life about? And it gets complex. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed? Maybe not. There's no better security blanket in this world than a scar you can point to. When someone challenges you, right? We do the same thing emotionally and spiritually. If someone calls you selfish or immature, what do some people say? It's true, I do get moody, I clam up for days, and it's from all the scars I endured when I was growing up with my dysfunctional family. Guess what? Every family is dysfunctional. That Brady Bunch is a lie. As it is, they were very dysfunctional. We're not able to hold others as emotional hostages if we get better. There's a payoff in staying angry at my ex. There's a payoff in staying angry at God. There's a payoff in staying angry with my parents who just, you know, didn't change my diaper quick enough. I've heard it. Well, my Freudian psychologist says when I was three, they left, you know, the diaper on too long. Really? I don't have time to go back to when you're three, so let's get to, you know, like when you're 35. Do I want to get well? See, some people have figured out, and this is the whole, this is a long buildup for this point, so are you ready? As long as I can stay incapacitated by my past, I don't have to take responsibility for my actions in the present. And the attention I get by, as I lay by the pool of Bethesda can be very gratifying. My mom was very loving when I had a temperature of 102, thanks to that light bulb. I don't think I ever ran 102. Well, she thought I did. Actually, I feel bad. I never confessed that to her. Sorry, Mom. Do I want to get well? See, I'm not sure. See, the most frightening thing in the world is to look up one day and see a stranger standing beside you with the power to heal me. And so, friends, Jesus is standing in that place right here today. And he says, do you want to get well? And you have to ask yourself, in what area of your life does that really apply? Do you want to get well in terms of your relationships? Do you want to get well in terms of your resentments? Do you want to get well in terms of your finances? I don't know. Because it means change. And a crucial part of being healed is committing yourself to staying well to pouring out the alcohol, getting rid of the drugs, severing your ties to those friends who drag you down. If you turn and walk away, some of them may follow you. Burn the bridges behind you. Focus your life. Focus your life so you can say what you're about, what's your life message in a sentence or less. No more Cheesecake Factory, more in and out. Sometimes after we're healed, we look around and we say, well, now who's going to carry me? Now, you notice Jesus didn't carry the man. He didn't say, Hey, climb on my back and I'll carry you. Nobody's going to carry you. You're grown. But the same Jesus who gave you the power to rise up is going to give you the power to walk and keep walking every day. It's such an interesting healing. Jesus just says to him, Get up. He kicks him in the butt existentially. Did he really heal him? He didn't spit on mud and rub it on his eyes or anything. didn't do any of that stuff. He just says, get up. Now, one of the people that we can look at that had feature creep in his life in the New Testament was Paul. Paul was one of the biggest enemies in the world of Jesus, right? How many of you have ever read any of Paul's writings? I hope so. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if you take out the Gospels. Thirteen letters, right? Um, Depending on how you view that, right? At least seven maybe another six, he encountered Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. And don't dismiss this. Paul talked about decluttering his life, getting rid of the menu. He said, but none of these things move me, and he's talking about his pedigree and his past and all the items on his menu, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish the race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you want to describe Paul, he's definitely in and out Burger. He's all about Jesus. But at one point in his life, Paul had a lot of feature creep going on. There was a point in Paul's life where he cared about what everybody thought about him. And he had all the pressure of the world. And there was a point in his life where he was filled with anxiety. There was a point in his life where he says in the Bible he was a people pleaser. And religion... He was so religious. And that had, you know, there's nothing that will add more feature creep to your life than religion. And I say that as a pastor. Because religion is one of the biggest feature creeps you can have in your life. Because God wants to be about your relationship with Jesus, not some religious thing you could do for God. Religion is about what we do for God. Religion says your job is to sit here and evaluate the quality of my sermon. Don't even do it right now out loud, please. Well, I didn't like his opening story. And his jokes were horrible. I mean, just, this is Zachary, my son. Dad, you really need to work on your jokes. They're like dad jokes that are just bad. There's like good dad jokes out there, Dad, but you don't even use those. That's religion. Having a relationship with Jesus is not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about grace, and that's the power we stand in. Someone say amen. So Paul Paul had all these things that mattered to him. There were so many things. He was like Cheesecake Factory, right? Uh, he even says, I was, you know, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, was, I knew all the laws. I followed all the laws. I did everything right according to the Jewish laws. But he says, I threw all of that away once I discovered the real Jesus. And he says, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. So he gave up his money, his standing, his career, everything to follow Jesus. And he says, I'm running the race, so I count all that stuff, all the items on my menu as rubbish that I might gain Christ. He's become in and out burger. Paul had done prioritizing. His yes and no's were clear. And he even talks about, hey, you know what? I'm ready to die if God wants me to die in in transmitting the gospel because the Romans did not want him talking about Jesus. They thought they had squashed the Jesus movement. And here he is preaching about Jesus and Jesus raised from the dead and creating all this problem. So they put Paul in prison and then he's preaching to the guards and he just won't shut up. Because he's all about in and out Burger. It's one item. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the only item on his menu. Are you clear? And so Paul says, you know what? If I die, then I go with Jesus. If not, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. And I, 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 he didn't want to die, but he was ready to die. And hear me. No one is truly ready to live who's not prepared to die. actually in the liturgy I say at funerals. Lord, help us to live as those who are prepared to die so that we might really live. So the wisest thing you can do in your life is be prepared to meet your maker at any point, because not everyone gets a two-minute warning. And then you can just follow God fearlessly and courageously and know what's on your menu. Steve Jobs once said, the secret of innovation is saying no a thousand different times, saying no to a thousand different things. How do you get an insanely great product? You focus on a few things, and then you do them really well. You say no to that. You don't have 20 pages before you get to cheesecake. Some of you need to say no to some things. Some of you need to declutter your lives. Some of you need to focus on what it is God wants you to do with your life. And it's not what you need to add. It's what you need to remove from your menu. So that your life message is clear to people. So when they look at you, they say, you know what? That's what Dave's about. That's what Joy's about. That's what John's about. So here's my question. Is there a breathing room in your life? Do you have time to take a walk? Do you have time to take a walk without your phone? Well, I've got to have my AirPods in. Do you have time just to breathe with God? When was the last time you just spent time alone with God? Decluttered the menu. On your commute to work, do you have it calculated so that if you hit one red light, you get angry? Are you leaving margin? Is there breathing room built into your budget? Or is it where you're strapped so tight, if one thing happens, you're really going to be, you know, under and in and, and debt? Because guess what? One thing's always going to happen. If you want to come back, somebody say amen. Are you still with me? Amen. If you want to come back, you might need to do some subtraction. Subtraction is actually a form of addition. I know I was in the slow math class, but stay with me here, okay? Subtraction is a form of addition. It's an act of addition. Subtraction, because cutting away from some of the items on your menu actually... Add something. Why? Because every time you take away something, it leaves a hole. Every time you take away something, it leaves a void. Every time you take away, it leaves a footprint of what was there, but is no longer there. And there's information in the missing information. I'll say that one more time. There's information in the missing information. There's something that can be there. What was there... But it isn't there. And I don't think you're quite understanding me because I'm getting some weird faces right now. So let's take a picture. Just look at this picture of the vase. It's a vase. It's a nice, pretty vase. And what's not there is just negative space. But is that vase there or is it two faces? Come on. I think that's pretty cool. Because subtraction... It's actually an act of addition. In that negative space, there's something there. There's information, right, in the missing information. How cool is that? That's just amazingly cool, right? We're going to continue with this one. This one really makes my head hurt. Look at this one. Um, Is it a man's legs or is it a woman's legs? If you stare at this long enough, you'll go cross-eyed and begin foaming at the mouth a little bit. what's actually missing right is actually adding something it's it's an optical illusion isn't that pretty cool i think that's pretty cool i I like this one here and i showed this one to renee and she goes oh i saw was the kiwis but do you see is there a triangle there or you know subtract something from the kiwis i swear there's a triangle there right and what's there is there because of what isn't there What's there is there because of the margin. There's breathing room in the Kiwis, so you get a triangle out of it. And you've got to eat the Kiwis, and it's good for you, so it's a win-win, right? Okay. Or how about this one? Is it Peter or is it his wolf? Can you see Peter there? Or is this wolf? Because there's negative space. The negative space is Peter, but it isn't. It's just the way the wolf is chasing. And what's the wolf chasing? A rabbit? A quail? I don't know. They added Peter by taking away from the wolf. They could have filled it with lots of other things in the story, but they didn't. And so you have something beautiful because of what isn't there. I love this one the Pittsburgh Zoo logo. Is it a tree? Is it a gorilla? Is it a tiger? I don't know, it's amazing what's possible. But my favorite example of this is actually the FedEx logo. Now back in the 70s, FedEx idea, this amazing idea, revolutionized the world and it still makes my head hurt. To this day, you can go to the post office, you can go to a mail center, you could take something and you can say, get this to my friend by tomorrow morning and they can do that. That blows my mind overnight. And what happened is with Federal Express is people began saying this, we're going to FedEx it. It's what's called Federal Ex- People start saying, hey, just FedEx that to me. And the people actually changed the name of the company and made the name of the company into a verb. It became a verb. We're going to FedEx it. Just FedEx it. Yeah, we're going to FedEx it. How many of you have said, let's just FedEx it? Yeah, we've said it. you changed the name of the company. So, they, 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 so the company said, we've got to change our name from Federal Express to FedEx. So they commissioned a graphic design firm to come up with a logo to say a new word. And they came up with 200 different possibilities, 200 different ways to shorten the name, from Federal Express to FedEx. And they boiled it down to five options. And in 1994, they brought five options, five markups of those logos on airplanes and on trucks and on envelopes. And they brought it to the CEO and the whole team. And Fred Smith was the CEO. And they're sitting there and they're looking at the logos. And they, it's all very creative. But out of the five, this, Fred Smith said, this is the one. And I'll show you the FedEx logo that we know and love. And this is the one that Fred Smith said, I wanna do this one. And everyone said, why do you wanna do this one, Fred? And Fred said, I wanna do this one because I noticed there's an arrow there. And everybody's like, arrow? What are you talking about? There's no arrow, there's no bow and arrow. This isn't the Indians. And he's like, no, there's an arrow. Do you see the arrow? Because the arrow is right there in between the E and the X. Do you see the arrow now? For those of you who are in the slow arrow class, we got another slide for you. Go ahead and show the next one. There's the arrow. Okay, because some of you are like, I don't see no arrow. Is Pastor John still talking about cheesecake? And Fred Smith is the only one in the room that saw the arrow. And he said, do you see the arrow? It's just amazing, the arrow. And the marketing department of FedEx said, that's great, but we should outline it. We should do this, what we've done to, we've artificially changed the logo. And we should let the whole world know. And everyone from the design company said, no, don't do that. Because the power is in the subtleness of it. It's not just a cool arrow. It's a very, very basic arrow. And the power is in the subtlety. The power is in what's not there. Because when you subtract things from your life, you actually add things to your life. It's it's power in how low-key it is. So now I'm going around telling everybody all week long, I'm telling Renee, do you see the arrow? Did you see the FedEx truck? Did you see the arrow on the truck? She's like, I didn't see the arrow. And I go, I just wait till Sunday, you'll see the arrow. Because I had never seen the arrow until I read about this. I thought, yeah, I admit, I've been blind to the arrow. This, it's interesting, if you look at this logo, the logo has won 40 different design awards. It is actually considered a gestalt piece of art. It's actually one of the greatest, out of all the logos in the world, it's actually in the top eight logos as as marketed by advertisers. Why? Because of what's been taken away, because of what's been missing, because of what's been pruned, because of what's been cut back, because of what's been left out. And so my question to you today that applies to your spiritual life, what this has to do with God, you're probably wondering, but I'm going to try to bring it all together here. Do you have space for the arrow? Do you have space in your life that points to God? Or is your life just so full of pages that no one knows what your life message is? Do you have space to say God is great and God is good and there's margin in my life for me to point you to him and to tell you about him? And do you live your life in a way that people, when they see you, they see the arrow? And the arrow points to God. And the arrow points to Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't point to you. Are you allowing there to be a blessing that God wants there to be there for you and through you because of what you're willing to let go from your heart? And some of you right now, you're like, I need to let go of the excuses. I need to let go of the as soon as life. I need to let go of staying by that pool of Bethesda and hoping that my circumstances will change, which will then change me. What is the message of your life? Is it cluttered up? Does it look like a cheesecake factory menu? Maybe it's time to downsize to in and out. I dare you be like Paul. Put your eyes on Jesus. Trust in Jesus alone. No matter what trials, no matter what storms, no matter what difficulties come, God will prune you and purify you and give you space and breathing room. So keep your eyes on him. If you want to come back, you've got to cut back. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to gather and to consider what we might need to subtract from our lives in order that our arrow that points to you might be seen. God, help us not to live our lives so that our life message is on page 20 of our menu, but on page one. And help there only to be one page. And help us to be about you, God about what you can do in our lives and what you've done for our lives. Some of us, Lord, need to prune away from that. As soon as this happens or as soon as that happens, and I'll be happy then or I'll be settled then or if I could just win the lottery or if I could just get a different job or if I could just have my circumstances be changed because the reality is, God, you want to change us. And in changing us, that will change our circumstances. So, God, let us leave here today thinking about what do we need to to subtract what needs to be pruned from our lives is it the excuses is it sitting by the pool of circumstances waiting for them to change what is it God because we know that if we do that it's actually a form of addition and that the arrow will become clearer and that will point to you God, we want our life message to point to you. The whole point of the Bible is is not about us. It's about Jesus and God and what he can do in this world as we join him in making God's kingdom come, God's will being done. And that's why in that prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, he says to them, hey, it's all about making the kingdom come, God's will being done. So Father, help us Consider, what is our life message? Is it too lengthy, too complex for others to know? Pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation deliver us from evil, in His kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.